Hello, everybody. How are you? Is there a game today? Never mind. We're not even going to talk about it, are we? Well, welcome to the series. I'm uh, happy to be here for the series called Strapped. If you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Tim's talk from last week. Really kicked this thing off well. Also, a really cool thing he talked about is something new we're doing called Text to Give. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, so um, you can check that out from last week. But all right, so all of us who preach here now at Parkview, we're contractually obligated to mention, yes, Tim had a grandson, and yes, we love him very much. So just now I got that out of the way. The, the thing about this series that's interesting to me is that most of us, we know the statistics. We've heard the numbers. You know, $14,000 worth of credit card debt per person is the average in this country. The average household debt is 136% of household income. 55 to 60% of people are living paycheck to paycheck with nothing left over. We get that. We're in this spot where, as Proverbs says, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. We know that that's the situation right now. We don't need to be reminded of that necessarily. But what I notice as a pastor is that a lot of times, the problems we're having don't just come from what we think they come from. So, you know, if somebody comes to me and they're having a life crisis, a lot of time I'll talk, about them, talk to them about how much sleep they're getting. You would be amazed how many crises in our life disappear if we just get eight hours of sleep. Amen? You look at marriages. A lot of times marriages, it's, is it communication? Is it that? Is it this? A lot of times I'll ask, have you ever, have you been working over the amount of hours you normally do? Have you been pushing yourself really hard? A lot of stress and anxiety comes from that. And so when we start talking about finances, we talk about this series, we need to know that this issue of being strapped financially comes from a different place maybe than the one that we're expecting. Because if we don't start there, it's, it's like a doctor. A doctor doesn't treat symptoms, he treats sicknesses. We need to treat the sickness that drives this whole thing of being strapped. And for us to do that, we all have to get on the same page. So I'm going to ask you all to get on the same page with me right now if we can. Um, I'm going to throw out a statement, and this is a truth we're going to all agree to. Ready? We all do stupid stuff to ourselves. Turn to the person next to you and say, you do stupid stuff to yourself all the time. Some of you have been waiting for that opportunity for a long time. <laughs> we do stupid things to ourselves all the time. If you need a big example, let me give you this one. In December, there's a show that's going to uh, air on the Discovery Channel called Eaten Alive. Some of you may have heard about this, and it's just, it is what it sounds like. It's, it's about being eaten alive. And there's a man, a filmmaker named Paul Rossoli, who has volunteered to be swallowed by an anaconda, okay? Let me, and he's going to wear a special suit, just in case you were concerned. Here's a picture of Paul in the suit. And he's going to cover himself in pig's blood and be swallowed by an anaconda. Now, the article that you read about this says that it's already been filmed, he's fine, and the snake is fine somehow, and he said, you know, the trick really is to go in head first. That's how this all really works. <laughs> Folks, I got questions. I got lots of questions about this. First of all, how do you know going in head first is the best way to do this? From all the other people who have been swallowed by anacondas, and they're like, yeah, that was the thing that really made it for me. And the other thing is, isn't this one of those things that happens right after somebody says, here, hold my beer? Like, isn't this where that idea starts? <laughs> this is not going to end well. 
So for whatever reason, and I know this is kind of an extreme example, but we do things to ourselves for the sake of notoriety, for the sake of status, the sake of attention, the sake of being on TV. What would happen if I got swallowed by an anaconda? This is a big blow-up of the little things that bring us to this place where we are financially, that bring us to this place where we do silly things to ourselves all the time. And it really is ingrained in us from the beginning. So as Christians, we think about the story of the Bible, and the first book of the Bible is the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis is the story about how human beings came to be where they are. So God creates these people, and he puts them in this place that the Bible translates as Eden, or the Garden of Eden, if you've never heard that term before. But the word in Hebrew doesn't just mean Eden, it actually means pleasures, paradise, So essentially, God creates human beings and plunks them down in an eternal, all-inclusive in Cabo San Lucas for the rest of their lives. That's the beginning of the story. And God tells them, he says, listen, I'm giving you everything you need, but you are free to eat from every tree in the garden, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now get this in our brains for just a second. God creates human beings, puts them in paradise, in the garden of pleasures and says, listen, everything is yours, just leave that one tree alone. That's all I'm asking. And so the trouble begins in the story when somebody raises the question, maybe paradise isn't enough. Maybe the garden of pleasures, the garden of paradise just isn't enough. And so this serpent slithers into the story. It's funny, we'd be talking about anacondas, and here's a serpent, slithers into a story, and this is what he says to Eve. He says, you will not surely die, pshaw. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying maybe paradise isn't enough. Maybe you could do better than having all your needs provided for by God himself. This is the world in which you and I live. We are constantly being presented the idea that maybe paradise isn't enough. Let me give it to you in another way. So uh, on this table, I have puzzles. Some of you do puzzles, some of you don't. Maybe after this, you're going to want to do puzzles more. But what happens is God puts the people in the garden, and it's like he gave them this box, this puzzle. Now, we've got a thousand-piecer here. It's a snow scene. Got one with a barn, lots of red. That should be difficult. Um, And we got a smaller one with a few less pieces. So what God does is he gives Adam and Eve this puzzle. He says, here's the box. And everything you need is in there because nothing paralyzes a puzzle person like thinking, I wonder if all the pieces are in there. So you're not going to go through, I mean, this is a thousand pieces, and there it goes one. See, that's what happens right there. You go through a thousand pieces, come here, and you believe all of the things I need for this beautiful picture that's on the top of the box are actually in here. They've been provided for me. So God says to Adam and Eve, everything you need in the garden is there. Trust me. You'll have everything that you need. So Adam and Eve are living in the middle of this, and then they're like, oh, this is beautiful. Ooh, what's this? Look at this puzzle. Look at this piece. Well, now, wait a minute. Now, this piece would look really nice in my puzzle. And so we start borrowing from other puzzles, trying to make our picture just a little bit better. Like, I actually dropped that in there. That's going to ruin this puzzle. What happens is we start to see other things that we want to bring into the story that never belonged there in the first place. And when you start trying to put this together, suddenly it's chaos. Nothing fits. 
Where we find ourselves today is this puzzle that we have been given, these resources, God has given us all we could ever need for our lives. What we have done is said, maybe everything we need just isn't enough. Maybe we could actually do better. The way I would phrase this is this way. We have traded the world of enough for the world of excess. We've traded the world of enough for the world of excess. We have decided that this puzzle, this box is just not good enough. Paradise is just not good enough. Living our lives, having everything we need from God provided for us just isn't good enough. Now, how would I define excess? It's very simple. Excess is buying stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like with a lifestyle we can't sustain. (laughs) Right? That's excess. Stuff we don't need, money we don't have, people we don't really like with a lifestyle that is going to end up killing us. And we've seen it. We know the statistics. Again, I'm not breaking any, this isn't breaking CNN news. We all know this is happening. And so the real fundamental problem begins with, what do we really need? Maybe the problem isn't that we're not smart. Okay, some of us, the problem is that we're not smart. But maybe that's not the big problem. The big problem is we've got a really bad idea of what we actually need. We have a really bad idea of what we actually need. Let me give you an example of why this works. So they did a survey of 65 countries throughout the world, and they're trying to find the happiest country on the planet. So they did the survey. Results came back, and they found that the number one happiest country on the face of the earth was the country of Nigeria. Now, if you know anything about Nigeria, they have immense amounts of poverty, disease, religious conflict between groups. Their politics are even more corrupt than ours, if you can believe that. This is the happiest country on the face of the earth. You know where the United States fell in that? We were number 16. We were the 16th happiest country in the world. Now, the same year, they did a survey about the countries that had the highest quality of life, meaning the countries that have the access to everything that a person thinks they need in order to live a high quality of life. Do you know where the United States finished on that one? We were number one. Nigeria was number 162 on the list. So tell me, what is going on here that the happiest country in the world is 162nd in quality of life? How is that possible? It's possible because the people in Nigeria have learned happiness does not come from being excited with excess. It comes from being enraptured with enough. It comes from knowing that everything they need has been provided for, and they are joyful about that. They have learned how to do that. The Apostle Paul in Philippians talks about it this way. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. How is it that Nigeria can be number one with such a low quality of life? It's that they've learned this one very key phrase, contentment. Contentment. Now, contentment is a New Year's Eve kind of word. Like, it's a New Year's resolution kind of word. You know, those things that we're going to plan to do and never really do. Like, ah, I want to quit smoking this year, or ah, I want to hit the gym this year, or ah, I want to root for a football team that's actually going to win this year. It's not going to happen. We know it's not going to happen. And contentment is one of those things that everybody wants, but nobody's going to chase after. Like, if you walk down the street and found a random person and say, hey, would you like to have contentment in your life? They probably wouldn't go, ah, I'm good. You know, I'm, you know I, I like my anxiety. I'm heavily medicated, but I like my anxiety. I'm very comfortable with it. 
It's like the old gospel song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We all want contentment, but are we willing to do and step into what it takes to live in that place? Everybody wants contentment, but does anybody want enough? Does anybody want to just live by the puzzle and the resources and the picture that God has given us? That's the secret of contentment. The secret of learning to be content is really believing that God's enough is enough. That God's enough is enough. Listen, there are more books now in history than there have ever been on the topic of contentment. But I have to tell you, the only way we come to that kind of deep contentment is by becoming a follower of Jesus. Because there's nothing that we can do to make that happen without him. Jesus even says that. He says, if you remain in me or abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit For apart from me, you can do nothing. The fruit of contentment comes by hanging around with Jesus, learning to be like him for the sake of the world. That's where all of this comes from. That is something that doesn't come naturally to us. It is something that we have to learn. And Jesus teaches us that. He teaches us to believe that God's enough is enough. And the way that he does that is just by showing us who God is. From the beginning to the end, from first to last, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible shows us a God who is so overly gracious and generous that it's not even funny. God is gratuitous in the Bible with his people. He gives them everything they could possibly need. That is the kind of God that we hear about in the scriptures all the time. Jesus is telling a story once about a prodigal son, a father that has two sons, and the father in the story represents God. And at one scene in the story, the father is talking to the oldest son, who's really complaining because he hasn't gotten all the stuff that he wants. And he says to him, my son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Jesus paints a picture of us, for us, of a God who believes that everything we need that he has belongs to us. He said, I've given you all the pieces. They're all there. Don't worry about it. Jesus is addressing this kind of anxiety once with his disciples, and he says, look, even down to the basic needs, he said, your heavenly Father knows you need food and clothing, and he knows you need all that stuff. He knows that, but listen, don't chase after those, but seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. If you live by the puzzle, if you live by the pieces you have been given, everything that you need will come along with that. So stop borrowing from other puzzles. Stop living in excess because enough paints this beautiful picture if you're just willing to step into it. One of my favorite teachings on this is in a book called 1 Timothy. It's in the New Testament. It's a letter from a guy named Paul to a really young pastor who's in a city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is an interesting place because near Ephesus, there is a giant temple. This temple is to a goddess named Artemis. Here's a picture of Artemis. Um, either that's a really big woman or a very small deer. I can't really decide which, but Artemis is the goddess of the hunt. She's the goddess of fertility. She's supposedly one of the daughters of Zeus in Greek mythology. But they have this huge temple near Ephesus, and like anything, if you've got a, a, an attraction, if you've got something, a, a tourist attraction that brings people to your city, you market that thing like crazy. You've got Artemis t-shirts, you've got Artemis posters, and one of the things they had is they would build tiny statues of her. And people who come to the city to worship at her temple would buy one and take it home. Now, of course, they're all good salesmen, so some people would have like the Bluetooth connectivity Artemis. You'd have the Artemis with the cup holder. You'd have the customizable Artemis. 
And so people would come and they would spend gobs of money on these statues, and that's how the city actually survived. So get this. Paul is writing this letter to a pastor in a city where people live by worshiping stuff. Does this sound familiar? And so into this city and into this culture, he has a word for Timothy and the church. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. Into the middle of this culture, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now that's flipped upside down, isn't it? Basically what he's saying is, godliness with contentment, living by the puzzle, by the pieces you've been given, is the way that you gain more than you could ever imagine. You can't make a car commercial out of this verse. Like, how does that sound? Do you want to be sexy and attractive and relevant? Then keep driving the car you have. That mid-2000 Honda is going to do you just fine. Like, that doesn't work. That marketers will not do that. And by the way, Honda people, you're welcome. <laughs> Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's such a reverse of the way that we've been taught to see the world. We've been taught to climb the ladder, to gain more, to possess more. Paul says, if you live on what's adequate, if you live on God's enough, you are going to have more than you could ever possibly imagine. Now, I know that sounds weird because we've been taught not to settle for adequate. And some places that'll get you into trouble. Like if you, in your job, just decide to be adequate, like that's not going to last very long. We love him. He's a really adequate guy. It just doesn't work that way. We've got to learn the difference in our culture between good and excessive. Because there's a lot of good stuff. Food is good in certain amounts. Some wine is really good in certain amounts. We've got to learn the difference between good and excessive. And I learned this last year during the polar vortex. We were in uh, Orlando, Florida in January by a gift of some family members. We were at Disney. And um, now I don't want to hear it from you to say, oh, you were in Orlando. That must have been nice. Listen, it was 46 degrees in Orlando, Florida last January. Now, I know it was negative 46 here, but you don't got to understand what happens to people in Florida when it dips below 50. It's Armageddon. Like, nobody owns a coat. People are, like, punching people and taking away their warm clothes because they don't know what else to do. Where are we going to find food? What if the power goes out? It's just, it's chaos erupts. And so we were spending some time at Disney, and then when we got to the end, we were getting ready to fly out, and that was the day it got really bad here, and all flights were grounded. And so we were stuck. So when you're in the most magical place on earth and you get stuck, what do you do? Well, you go to the magic kingdom. But what we didn't know was there is a limit to the amount of magic that one family can handle. <laughs> it was no longer magical. Mickey would walk by and wave. I'm like, dude, don't even start with me. <laughs> like, I don't have clean clothes. Let's just start there. You, know, you hear the It's the Small World song? Like, it is a small world of pain right now. <laughs> it's a small world for me. And Disney wasn't doing anything wrong. Like, they were just doing their thing. They were being nice. They were being good customer service. And they were singing and laughing and high-fiving and all that. But I was at the point where a character was about to meet their end if we stayed there much longer. Because, because there's something that happens when we take good and turn it into excess. There's a place where we have to back off, and we're never meant to live in excess. People aren't meant to live in Disney because what happens is Armageddon breaks out, and then what happened to us was there was actually a small skirmish. We ran out of food, and we actually had to, we actually had to eat Donald Duck, so this is what that ended up looking like. 
Don't worry, kids, he's got another good leg. (laughs) Paul gets this. He gets this because he knows we were not engineered to live on excess. We were not engineered to live in the magic kingdom. We were not engineered to have over and above what we need. God built us to live on his puzzle. And when we don't, the meaning and purpose of our life begins to drip out. Because you notice what he says. He says, we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. You notice that there is never a U-Haul in a funeral procession. Our stuff, our excess, dies with us. So the thing that some of us are living our life for is not going to go any further than our funeral. We've got to learn how to live a more beautiful life because what we know is the people who are the happiest are those who are not pursuing excess. They're the ones who are pursuing enough. They're the kids in Nigeria who are playing with garbage and are so happy to have it, whereas I see kids who have iPads who couldn't stand it because they need to upgrade. Now, I'm not hacking on kids. Listen, I've got one, and sometimes she does that. But what I am saying is there's a different level when you're living by enough and living by excess. And happiness and contentment comes when we learn how to live within enough. Bill Hybels, a teacher at Willow Creek, says it this way. We have to learn to live joyfully within the provision God has given us. That is what some people have grabbed onto. And throughout this weekend, throughout this teaching, I've heard story after story of people who have actually done this. And it's amazing what has happened. They've learned to live on enough and it has changed everything for them. Because the alternative is not good. What Paul says is that those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. Notice what he says there. He is not saying people who are wealthy. He's saying people who pursue wealth. What he means is when we are chasing something outside of the puzzle we've been given. Now, here's what I understand. Some of you, your puzzles are really big. Like this is a thousand piece, maybe you got a 6,000 piece and you got the 3D one that goes this way and not just this way. Some of you got some really nice puzzles. Some of you have got a 500 piece. It's not about what you have. It's about will you live within what God has given you? For example, it's not bad to have a nice car, but how much car do you really need? How many times are we reaching outside of what we've been given in order to have certain things? We've got to understand what that actually looks like. And I get caught up in this too, you know. I think about this sometimes as my daughter's getting older and she's getting tall and I'm like, you know, maybe she gets involved in a sport and maybe she's good at it and I don't know, I'd like to play golf the rest of my life. Maybe she could finance that somehow with some sort of athletic thing that she could be involved in. We, we all want our kids to grow up to be pro athletes, not for their quality of life, but for ours, right? We're making an investment here, people. But the interesting thing is it doesn't work out that way. They even did a study and a survey of NFL players. And two years after their retirement, 78%, 78%, 78% of NFL players, two years after their retirement, are bankrupt. So if our dreams are of our kids having access to provide for us, we may want to understand what that actually means. Just in case you wonder what kind of money we're talking about, this year, a first-year player in the NFL, the guy who just sits the bench and waits for somebody to get hurt, will make $420,000. And that grows exponentially over the years of their career. Because the problem there is that excess reproduces like bunnies. It doesn't produce contentment. It produces more excess. 
And so sometimes I'm in this spot, man. I like the puzzle, but I would like some of the pieces from somebody else's puzzle. And that's when I get into danger. That's when we get in trouble with debt. That's when our relationships break down. That's when we start working hours we shouldn't, neglecting our family so that we can have something that we weren't built to have in the first place. We have to get to that point of believing that God's enough is enough. So, practically, how do we do that? Well, I want to welcome you into a bit of a group participation thing. Can we do that? Okay, we're going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> because I don't have anything else, and we'd have to it's just mess everything up. So, grab something to write on. If you have your bullets in there, if you want to use your, uh, your phone, your smartphone or something, if you've got one of those giant iPhone things, you could draw on it or whatever. Um, grab something where you could do some writing, and I'd love for you to make three columns, three columns. So what we've done was we've talked about this is the story of where all this excess stuff comes from. This is how we could step into and start to deal with it, start to process it, start to see what it really is. What is God's puzzle for us? What has God given us that's enough? And now what we have to do is say, how do we begin to actually put this into some working practice in our real everyday life? That's what we're going to do right now. So what I want you to do is make these three columns and label them. Column A, column B, and column C, A, B, and C. The first thing you want to do is in column A, write down everything that you need. How would I define need? Need is the stuff that if you don't have it, you will die. So these are things like food, like food would be a need. Clothing is a need, right? You'd better agree with me on that. Clothing, for you, clothing is a need. If you don't think it's a need, there's a place for you to live, and it's not here. There's no nudist colonies around here. Transportation might be a need. If you have a job you need to drive to, you need, you need a car. You need some kind of transportation. Shelter, that sort of thing. Column A, you write what you need. Column B, you write things that give you joy. So these are things that may not be things that you would die without, but they're the things that give your life depth and richness and enjoyment. I have certain books I would put in here. Uh, I'll put up here, this is where I would put my golf clubs. Okay? Can I live without them? Absolutely. Probably. Um, do they give me joy in my life? Absolutely. So they go in this column B. Anything that gives your life joy and depth that you use on a regular basis. And column C is anything that's not column A or column B. So in column C goes everything that doesn't fit a life need and doesn't bring joy, direct joy on a regular basis to our lives goes into column C. What we're doing here is we're learning the first principle of how we deal with excess. The first principle of how we deal with excess is we need to evaluate. We need to evaluate. We need to ask, are we living in the kingdom of enough or the kingdom of more, the kingdom of excess? We're learning to evaluate. We just have to be honest about what's actually in our lives. And a lot of times what's going to come out of this is the places where we struggle because everything we put on this list is going to have a dollar amount attached to it. Whether it's to store it or to use it, whether it's to pay it off or pay it down, everything we put on this list is going to have a dollar amount attached to it. So we need to fill this out. The second principle of this whole thing of getting out of excess is we need to begin to edit. We need to begin to edit and say, what has to go for me to live in the kingdom of enough? What has to go for me to live in accordance with the puzzle that God has given me? Now, listen, let me get into this real quickly. 
I'm not talking about sin here. The things we're talking about are not things that are sins. Because there's a very big difference between something that's a sin and something that's wise. There are things that are not sins that are still not wise to do. Half of the things I did as a kid growing up in West Virginia were not illegal, but they weren't wise. Riding in the back of a pickup truck at 70 miles an hour down a road that bounces like this, not illegal, not at that time. Was it wise? Absolutely not. Pinning all of our basketball hopes on Derrick Rose, is it illegal? No. Is it wise? Probably not. There are a lot of things that are involved in our life that are not wise, but they're not sinful. And so we begin to look at this list, and there are some things that pop out. For example, I would put, I would put cable over here. Can you live without it? Yes. Does it bring joy to your life? Maybe. For me, I would put it right there, and I'm going to tell you why here in a second. But when we get into this, we need to start looking at the reality that not everything fits in our life. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. He says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. What we're looking at as we edit this thing is to say, is there anything in my life in these three columns that is mastering me? Is there anything in this that I am serving rather than it serving me? In other words, if I had to get rid of it tomorrow, would I be able to do that? Well, could we go through our closets and get rid of some stuff that's in there? I think it's amazing because I think if we started to get rid of all the stuff we don't use, we'd realize we got too much house. I got a bedroom for my stuff. My stuff doesn't need a bedroom. And suddenly, all kinds of things begin to unravel, and we realize, oh my goodness, there is more space than I thought in my life, just by taking stock of what's actually there. And then, so we, ed- we evaluate and we edit, and then we execute. We have to use a very aggressive word here, we execute. We need to ask, what needs, to- how will I get out of this life of excess? We need to execute. Here's how you do it. You take what's in column C, and you get rid of it. Anything that's in column C goes bye-bye. Because if it doesn't give you life and it doesn't bring joy to your life, you you don't need it. It isn't a part of the box. It is something that will master you that it's not necessary. Now, for my wife and I, we moved into our first apartment when we got married. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience when you rent an apartment, but like the people before you don't turn the cable off. Have you ever had this? It's like Christmas every day. Like you plug in the TV, you're like, oh, 600 channels. And so the first three weeks of our marriage, we just sat on the couch and watched. There used to be this channel that was really good called VH1, where they actually showed music. Now it's just worthless. But anyway, at the time, they showed this program called Behind the Music. And it was the backstory of all these failed artists. And we would watch one after another after another. And one night it hit us. And we had just watched, and I'll I'll confess this to you, we had just watched the Behind the Music for Iced Tea. Now, am I that guy? No, I am not that guy. Everybody knows I'm not that guy. So we watched that, and I turned and looked at my wife, and I was like, I think we've gone to the bad place. (laughs) And so we cut it. And for 15 years now, we've gone without that. And it's amazing. Do you know what we do? We talk to each other. We read books, we play games, we acknowledge each other's presence in the universe. It's incredible. And so there's an emotional impact, but listen, there's a financial impact too. Statistics say that this coming year, the average cable bill will be 123 bucks a month. Now that's average, 
which means there's some above and some below. So some of you might be in a different spot, but just get this. It's the average. The average American watches five hours of TV a day. Again, above and below. But think about this. For a year, this is $1,500 a year. And this is 76 days if you total it up. Let me ask you a question. How much anxiety could you get rid of if you had an extra 1500 bucks and an extra 76 days? When we say we don't have time, we actually do. It's just in the wrong place. It's in the wrong puzzle. Maybe we need to take stock of, are there some things that need to go bye-bye before this actually begins to make sense, before we begin to execute things. One of the things that we do around here that helps us to do this is a class called Financial Peace University. And so we're starting a new one in January. Here are some dates for the class that's upcoming. We're finishing up right now one of our, uh, our fall section, and it's been an amazing thing to hear the stories that have come out of there. Some of you are, are probably in that or have taken it before. This year, between our two campuses, this is a, a picture of the debt. We had $3.75 million in consumer non-mortgage debt. $3.75 million. That's the situation people came into, into the class. But out of that, we know now, over the five years that we've offered this class, we have been able, we will pass the mark this year of retiring $1 million in non-mortgage in non consumer debt. $1 million of debt is gone over the last five years of doing Financial Peace University. This year alone, 39 people saved an average of $5,000 in their savings. Let me ask you, what could you do if you got an extra 5K just sitting around? Financial peace is one of those places where we help people learn how to do that. And rather than tell you that from my perspective, I want to give you parts two of a story we started last week with John and Brianna, and they can help to really reinforce this for you. So take a look. Opening a startup restaurant is kind of different than working a regular job because it's you never know what's coming in. You don't know what the sales are going to come in. So you don't know what you're bringing home at all. So you don't know if you're going to have any money after all the bills are paid. You know, so it's very stressful. It's not just, you know, paying yourself, going home, working till five. It's a totally different environment. You have to pay your vendors. You have to pay the utilities. You have to pay rent. And then if there's anything, you know, else left at the very end of that, that's yours. And if you're mismanaging that, you don't have anything left. So, and that's kind of where we were at. Before we started doing budgets, is like, we don't know what the money was meant for, you know, we weren't paying attention to it really. So it's very easy to just be out of control and just be like, I want that. I work so hard. I deserve it. And a lot of times we didn't deserve that, but we still got it. And it made things even more stressful. If you're irresponsible with your money, um, it's directly reflected in how much money you end up making. And for us, that amount was very small. So we were, we were really irresponsible with our money and we were done. One day at church, we heard about Financial Peace University. We're like, that sounds like a great plan and we should definitely take that class. That put things into perspective for us, you know, after we took the class, it's like, wow, these are a lot of just like easy steps to figure things out. And it's really helped us. We really learned how to 
instead of you know having money manage us, be able to manage our money. You don't wait till the very end of your budget to see what you have left to give. And I really liked that because it forced us to think about our other decisions and giving was number one. That's it. We're, we're giving and then the rest of it comes later. The result when we followed the plan was very exciting because for once, even though our money wasn't going up and how much we were making, the amount of money we were, debt we were paying down, the amount of money we had at the end of each pay period it was at home was amazing. It was like, I cannot believe, I feel like I got a raise and we didn't. So yeah, we were excited after we took the class, like what we could do, you know, just in helping other people realize what they could do. Take Financial Peace University, do it hardcore for three months. That's what really changed our lives. It was actually sticking to the plan for three months in a row and now I feel like we're in a place where God can actually use us with our business because we've taken what we've learned in the class personally to our business making sure we have good systems in place there. Don't let your money manage you. You know your money shouldn't be the one directing you, you should be directing it. So if we can do it really anyone can do it. Yeah. I can't watch that video without getting hungry. <laughs> Good heavens. Back when I, uh, way back in the day when I decided to, to become a pastor and um, really committed to that life, um, there were a group of people in my church that gathered around me, a group of elders, um, men who led our church, and they, they laid their hands on my shoulders and they prayed for me. And they commissioned me as a, a minister of the gospel. And that word just means good news. And so a lot of times you hear gospel, you think, well, it's good news about Jesus, it's good news about forgiveness, about grace, about heaven, and all of that. But I'm thinking today there's, there's also some good news for you in this area. Here's the good news from my perspective. You don't have to lose any more sleep over how you're going to pay for the things that you don't need. You don't have to live by excess anymore. You have a choice. There is a way that you can choose that will lead you out of that and into a more beautiful picture by using the puzzle pieces God has already put in place in your life. And you're like, Casey, things are getting tight. Uh-huh. We learn to be content when things get tight. We learn that all these shredded wheat tastes just like the name brand. And it's like $3 cheaper. We learned that Goodwill is an amazing place and has got some really nice stuff. We learn to be content by pursuing enough rather than fighting against excess. And I don't say this to you because I'm trying to make a demand. I'm not doing that. I'm saying this because I know the goodness of that. And I'm saying that because that's where Jesus is trying to take all of us. He teaches his disciples once. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it. What's amazing to me is that we all know the statistics about debt and about the impact it has on our lives and yet we willfully join it. We willfully put ourselves on that path 
So Jesus says, there's a big fat road that everybody else is taking, so go ahead and take it, but you got to understand what's waiting for you at the end. But maybe, maybe today it's time for us to be original. Maybe it's time for us to be sane people in the middle of a world of insanity, and you have to understand that when you're the only sane person in a room full of insane people, they want you to be insane just like them. So you're going to have some odd conversations with your neighbors. You're going to have some odd conversations with your coworkers when you bring a brown bag instead of going out every day. You're going to have some odd conversations with your kids when they're like, why can't I have blank like everybody else does? And you have to continue to put it in front of them that God has given us this beautiful puzzle, and if we live into it, we will always, always, always have enough. Let me paint this picture for you. What would it be like for you to sleep without anxiety about your finances? What would it be like for you to go to one income so that you can begin to do the thing that you want to do rather than the thing that you need to do in order to pay debt? What would it be like for you to be generous with that single mom that lives next door, that widower that lives next door, that person in your office or in your neighborhood that you know needs some help? What would it be like for you to be able to be free to change someone's life with a financial gift? What would that be like for you? What would it be like for you and your family to be able to teach each other about the goodness and beauty of gratitude and thanksgiving? We're entering into that season. Maybe it's time that we learn what thanksgiving really means by living by God's enough rather than by our excess. How much is that painting worth to you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you that there's a group of people in this room who are on mission for you, a group of people who maybe they put up some walls when they heard this series, this sermon was about finances, and I get it, I'm, I'm the same. I don't want to be told what's going on in my life. I don't like anybody messing around in my kitchen. But God, there is a road that leads to life, and we're, we're not finding it. So help us find it. And I pray specifically for my friends in this room. I pray specifically that right now you would fasten in their hearts one specific thing they can do. Fasten it there before they even get to their cars. One thing that they are going to commit to do to cut out the excess in their life in the next 12 hours. Something that they are going to get rid of, something they're going to give away or sell or cease to do, something they're going to do that will bring them into this world of this perfect puzzle you have given them, this beautiful picture of living by enough rather than by excess, and give them the courage to do it. When people look at them weird, when people look at them sideways and say, what are you doing? What is this all about? They can just say, it's a narrow road, and it's a great place. Why don't you come with me? Give them the courage and the patience and the energy to push through with that no matter what the obstacles may be. We thank you because you are a gratuitous God who gives and gives and gives and will continue to give, and we can trust you for that in any place at any time. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.